This is the recap, a review of the day's news in the Tri-States area for Wednesday, January 10th, 2024. With Tri-States Public Radio News, I'm Mike Murray. 24-year-old Dylan Lovato has yet to go to trial in a McDonough County murder case from nearly two years ago, but Tri-States Public Radio's Rich Egger reports a judge is pushing to move the case along. Lovato appeared in court via Zoom yesterday for a pretrial hearing. It was the 13th pretrial hearing in the case, and defense attorney Andrew Stuckert asked for another continuance. Judge Heidi Benson granted it, but she also directed Stuckert to work with prosecutors on what needs to be done to bring the case to trial this spring. Lovato was accused in the March 2022 shooting death of Ivan Almanza. Prosecutors say Lovato drove to Macomb in the middle of the night from his home in northern Illinois, entered his ex-girlfriend's apartment, and shot Almanza while he slept in her bed. Lovato was arrested about an hour later in Galesburg. He has pleaded not guilty. Rich Egger reporting. A stretch of Interstate 74 south of Galesburg was closed for several hours on Tuesday. The Knox County Sheriff's Office says there were multiple semi-truck accidents in the eastbound lane of the interstate amid heavy snowfall. Traffic between Galesburg and Knoxville was redirected until around 3 p.m. Planned Parenthood of Illinois' Carbondale Health Center has been up and running for two weeks now, and staff there say they've already seen several out-of-state patients. CEO Jennifer Welch says the goal is to serve patients coming from more politically conservative states, such as Missouri and Texas. She says in addition to abortions, more and more patients are now coming for gender-affirming care. What we learned is that before, some patients were traveling all the way from Kentucky or Tennessee or Arkansas, all the way up to Springfield and Champaign. And so we're really happy to save them hours and hours of travel. This is Planned Parenthood's first facility in southern Illinois. So far, they have 10 staff members and are hoping to employ 15 people total. A member of the Southeastern Community College women's basketball team is accused of firing gunshots in Fort Madison early on Sunday morning. Police took Angel Mays into custody that night after executing a search warrant at the Black Hawk Tower Residence Hall in West Burlington. Officers say they recovered ammunition and spent cartridges from Mays' room and car. They did not find a firearm. No one was injured in the shooting. The school has placed Mays on temporary academic suspension. As Iowa leaders implement state government reorganization, they're also consolidating IT services into one central agency. Iowa Public Radio's Katerina Sostarek reports. Iowa Department of Management Director Craig Paulson says he brought almost all of the IT workers from across state government into his department. He says with that change, he'll be asking lawmakers to create a new Division of Information Technology and get rid of the Office of the Chief Information Officer. Paulson says IT consolidation will dramatically improve the state's cybersecurity efforts. He says they're finalizing standard cybersecurity tools in every agency. And perhaps most importantly, we're providing real-time visibility into threats, and risks so that we can rapidly respond to the cyber event, regardless of the agency or the system where it originated. Collectively, this represents a huge leap forward in how we're protecting the information of all islands. Paulson says they're also finding ways to save money, and he eliminated 55 open IT positions. I'm Katerina Sestarek, IPR News. 
A bill in Congress aims to increase financing and cut red tape for the biorefinery industry. Its backers say it could help the U.S. develop viable alternatives to many petroleum-based products. Harvest Public Media's Jim Meadows reports. The Ag Bio Act was introduced in both the U.S. House and Senate this fall with bipartisan backing. Lloyd Ritter is with the Agriculture Energy Coalition. He says if the bill passes, the U.S. could produce more biofuels and other crop-based alternatives to products, from plastics to detergents, now made from petroleum. Anything that we produce or have produced from traditional refineries for the last 100 years or so can be made by our farmers and our clean technology and biotechnology companies. The Ag Bio Act would create a new grant for building and expanding biorefineries. Backers hope to get the legislation attached to the new farm bill. For Harvest Public Media, I'm Jim Meadows. Illinois residents are now able to file lawsuits against those who spread digitally altered sexual images of them online. These images are known as deep fakes. Supporters of the law say the sharing of these images without consent can harm the victim's mental health as well as their professional and personal lives. Victims of sexual digital forgery can sue for up to $10,000 in damages. In our feature for today, Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump has submitted his paperwork to get on Illinois' ballot this spring. But his filing with the State Board of Elections was met with drama on multiple fronts. Politics reporter Dave McKinney broke two stories on Trump's candidacy for Illinois' March 19th primary. He spoke with Illinois Public Radio's Melba Lara. Dave, let's start first with your story from the weekend. Trump is refusing to sign Illinois' loyalty oath. What is that? Well, Melba, Illinois has had this obscure document that candidates sometimes submit as part of their election paperwork. It dates back to the 1950s, and it's really a vestige from the McCarthy Red Scare era. The, the oath used to be uh, a compulsory thing in order to get on the ballot, and candidates had to assert that they weren't communists and, in the line that's relevant to Trump, won't advocate for the overthrow of the government. Now, federal courts have determined long ago that this oath is unconstitutional on free speech grounds, but the legislature, they never took it out of Illinois' law books. So it remains for candidates to sign or not sign when they submit paperwork to get on the ballot. And Donald Trump's not signing that, is he? Well, I mean, that's where the drama comes in. Uh, When Trump ran as a presidential candidate in Illinois in 2016 and in 2020, he signed the loyalty oath, but not this time. I mean, I literally stumbled upon this when I was looking at who was circulating Trump's nominating petitions this time, and I noticed that the loyalty oath was missing. And so I called a a source at the State Board of Elections, and he confirmed that that was the case. Now, Trump's campaign gave me a statement, but it didn't really provide a reason why he didn't sign it after doing it two previous times. And let's remember the timing here, Melba. Trump chose not to submit this just days before the three-year anniversary of the January 6th insurrection for which he's been criminally charged. And Dave, I noticed this weekend that this got a lot of attention. Even President Biden was weighing in on the story. I I know. I mean, President Biden's campaign, they didn't know about this until I called them. Uh, They soon began circulating the story because it coincided with a major speech that Biden delivered on Trump's role in the January 6th insurrection. On Facebook, Biden said, and, and I quote here, I said Donald Trump is willing to sacrifice our democracy to put himself in power. I wasn't exaggerating. Now, Biden signed Illinois' loyalty oath, uh, as did Republican Ron DeSantis. 
But Republicans Nikki Haley and Chris Christie did not. Dave, I want to move on to another sticking point with Trump's candidacy. When he did file in Illinois, he was met with a challenge to his nominating petitions to get him booted from the ballot over his ties to the January 6th riot. This is also happening in other states. Why is this an issue in Illinois? Well, yeah, as you point out, I mean, there are pending objections to Trump's candidacy in 15 other states. And two states, Colorado and Maine, they've already knocked him off the ballot. In Illinois and all of those states, uh, the objections center on language in the 14th Amendment that was ratified right after the Civil War, and the language bars insurrectionists from seeking public office. Here in Illinois, the objection was brought by a national voting rights group, five Illinois voters, and two uh, law firms from Chicago. Now, the U.S. Supreme Court recently agreed to review the Colorado case, and a decision is really going to dictate the direction that this Illinois objection goes. And until the U.S. Supreme Court weighs in procedurally, what's going to happen next in Illinois? I mean, we're 10 weeks out from our primary elections. And the first step here uh, is the objection is going to go to the nonpartisan state board of elections. And they're going to have a meeting on this January 30th. If this group of objectors doesn't get what it wants from the state election board and the U.S. Supreme Court still hasn't uh, given any kind of guidance here, I think what you're going to see is that this is going to move into Illinois' court system. And what you have to remember about the Illinois Supreme Court, where all of this could land, there's a 5-2 to two Democratic majority on the court. That was Illinois Public Radio's Dave McKinney and Mel Ballara talking about the drama surrounding Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump's bid to get on Illinois' March 19th primary ballot. In the weather for our listening area for today, it should be mostly cloudy with a high in the low 30s. West winds 10 to 15 miles an hour will prevail. They will also turn south sometime this afternoon with gusts as high as 20 miles an hour. For tonight, there's a chance of snow before midnight. It should be cloudy to partly cloudy overnight, and the low will be in the upper teens. For TSPR News, I'm Mike Murray. Tri-State's Public Radio is part of the NPR Network.